You're listening to The Common Good Show, a show designed to inform, inspire, and empower our listeners and entrepreneurs. Whether your goal is to live your best life, achieve business success, or foster a safe and healthy community, we bring you a holistic approach. And now, here's your host, Juanita Farrow. Welcome to The Common Good Show with Juanita, a show where we inform, inform, inspire and empower our businesses, communities, and people just like you. I am really excited about the show today because today we are talking about finding your voice through poetry. And our guest has been on the show with us before. Um, and but before I introduce her, um, there's something I want to talk about because I was thinking about this when I had the opportunity to talk to a friend of mine who manages an organization and they were very frustrated about um, some of the things happening within the organization, personnel issues and et cetera. And I basically I listened and then I said, you know, we're living in very difficult times. We, we have gone through a pandemic we are going through a recession. So many people, a million people almost, have lost their lives through COVID-19. It's very, very stressful. And every single person has been impacted by what we're experiencing now, in one way or the other, either directly or indirectly. And how do people deal with that? I was just recently talking to a guest about mental health. And so as I was talking to my friend, I was thinking about all of this and thinking about how this plays out sometimes in a person's life. You know, all these feelings you're taking inward, without a way to release those feelings sometimes, they come out through anger and anxiety and other emotions experienced in the workplace or whatever. So everything that is normal day-to-day -day becomes even more stressful simply because of all these other stressors that we're experiencing in our day-to-day -day life. How do we relieve that stress or how do we begin to cope with some of the things that have happened over the last couple of years? And we have to, we have to have some type of outlet whether it's meditation or prayer or taking walks or going to the park, whatever you can do. And then I was thinking that for some people it may be writing. For some people it may be poetry or putting those feelings and those emotions into words and putting those words onto paper can be powerful. Whatever it is that you can find that will help you have some sense of peace in your life and some sense of serenity within. That's what I encourage you to do because there are so many people that are dealing with the issues right now and mental health issues and anxiety issues that whatever we can walk with someone or help them through difficulties that they are experiencing, hold each other up. I am my brother's keeper. We all have to come together to do that because we are living in difficult times. Well, our guest today, um, Delois Dudley, is a poet, and she writes beautiful poems. And so we're talking today about finding your voice through poetry. And let me tell you a little about uh, Delois. Mrs. Delois Dudley truly saw her profession as a calling, with a strong desire to help others and the community in pursuit of knowledge. She graduated from Norfolk State University in Virginia with a Bachelor's of Arts degree in English in 1971. While completing postgraduate coursework at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville between 1981 and 1984, she began her career as an English teacher with Craddock High School in Portsmouth, Virginia. In 1890, in 1982, after earning a Master of Arts in Communication from Norfolk State University, Mrs. Dudley joined Woodrow Wilson High School in Portsmouth as an English and public speaking teacher, 1992. 
Furthermore, she progressed to an English teacher and the aforementioned, at the aforementioned institution from 1994 until her retirement in 2015. For her accomplishments in the field, she has been honored as a black educator um, by National Delicados Incorporated in 20. 2007, named Teacher of the Year by Woodrow Wilson High School in 2006, and received an award from the NAACP. She was elected to the International Platform Association in 1996. To remain abreast of her developments in the field, she's a member of the National Education Association, the National Association for the Teaching of English and the Association of American Universities and the Portsmouth Education Association, among others. She is definitely an accomplished teacher, and I am so honored and humbled to have her on the show today. Welcome to the show, Mrs. Dudley. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. I'm so glad to have you back on our show, back by popular demand. <laughs> We have those requesting you on the show. It was so... Thank God. Yes, yes. It was so wonderful to hear you and to, to listen to how you take the words and the current events and those things that are happening in the world and you put them into poems. And I think that's a blessing for those who have the opportunity to read and to hear your work. And so I'm, I'm going to just jump right in because today we're going to listen to some of your poems, and which many of your poems have such a calming effect, and certainly we need that now. And that's one of the reasons I do the show is to be uh, shine a light uh, to help those um, basically in need, or help them to be able to help other people, or to just be informative. So for the, your your book is entitled Tribute. Um, you seem to be a woman, and based on you know our conversations that we've had in the past on the previous show, um, you're definitely a woman deeply concerned about the spiritual, social, um, you know, family moments, memorable family moments in life. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, what those experiences have meant to you and how it's helped you to develop the mindset that you have? Uh, yes. Really, when I, I think about it, the spiritual and the family and the social all go together a little bit because mm. <clears throat> during the uh, 50s and 60s, uh, when I was reared, many of the people had two-parent family homes, and they were all about structure and trying to help the children to you know, have uh, good, good morals, that kind of thing. And the, the spiritual, the faith-based thing came out very heavily. I remember that, we, you know, we were people that lived most of our lives in church and in school. And in church, you know, we'd, we'd go to the church. My mother was very concerned about us at a certain time, giving our lives to, to Christ. And she would say, you know, at a certain time you should, uh, they'd say join the church, but they still meant you had to kind of connect with some type of faith with Christ mm -hmm. in our house, it was God. In some people's houses, it may have been something else, but some mm -hmm. faith, something higher than yourself, you had to believe in something higher than yourself. And uh, they, they put that in us. They instilled that in us spiritually. And mm -hmm. we spent an awful lot of time in church because during that time, there was something called a, the blue law or something. Church, everything was closed down, mostly on Sundays anyway, where we lived. And uh, people tended to go more into the church. The church is like a social center and a, uh, for, for causes and things and also for outreach to others and all that, along with being the fact that you learn the word, things like that, about helping yourself to be a better citizen. You know, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't hurt people. Treat people like you want to be treated and that kind of thing. That was like a theme going through everything with the family. And so that was like a little spiritual thing itself. And then being at church so much, the activities mm -hmm. we did a lot of times would be activities dealing with just fun activities, you know, like especially like at Christmas, the church would give everybody have these pageants and plays, and we'd be shepherds and all that, things like that, and uh, townspeople around 
uh, places where Christ, I think, when he was born, we, much of everything was like uh, about things of God and spiritual things. Mm-hmm. However, they, make, they would make it fun also. And mm-hmm. at Christmas, like that poem I wrote, uh, Christmas is Love, That's All. Well, mm-hmm. at Christmas, we'd, we'd go out and get a live tree and, you know, and uh, my sister's siblings and I and my parents would go together and we'd get a tree and decorate it with the lights and everything. And we'd have hot chocolate and marshmallows. You know, we did just like so many people probably at that time would do. That's what we would do. Maybe it sounds a little boring, but we'd do things like that. And then uh, outside, oh, the family album. We were forever taking, you know, pictures then. Uh, I guess you would say the old-fashioned way. We'd take pictures of people doing things and having hats and hats on. And sometimes it would snow and make, we'd make the, you know, the snowman and all. Just like what people do, you know. Mm-hmm. It might sound a little corny, but it was a family thing. The ugly sweaters and the so-called nice sweaters. And just had, we had a lot of fun coming up. I had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, and uh, you said spiritual, you said social and family. Yeah. And family. Fa- family, it was always about family a lot. We had right. people coming around. And, and on weekends, we'd go out uh, to see family, and we drive out. And we would uh, just go and hug everybody and, you know, and talk to people. Sometimes the, the older relatives would talk to the children, ask us what we did in school, and maybe if you made the honor roll, they'd give you something. And just things like that, just the simple things of life, you know. But they were fun. My brothers and their friends would make skate boxes, and they would make them uh, personal. Put them mm-hmm. in. And, you know, those things were, they had some ingenuity behind those things, the way they would them and all and they, it was just a fun time you know a fun time basically right right and you had such a sense of family and that family connection and you right. know both your biological family but also your church family and the That's community it. as well and I think yeah. sometimes we're missing that now is that yeah. we don't have that sense of coming together and family as much it seems that way anyway as much as we did Uh, many years ago, especially when uh, we were growing up and our parents were growing up. There were difficulties then as well, but it seemed like because you had that connection with your family and you spent so much time with them supporting each other, same thing with the church is, you know, the the church supporting each other and the community at large. Um, Today you see a lot more um, people that seem to be isolated and they don't have those networks to draw on um, as you know we've seen in, in the past and I think that's, that contributes a lot of times to part of what we're seeing and people feeling a sense of loneliness and isolation. So I, I thank you for explaining that because that is sort of, uh, that has helped to develop a mindset for you um, as to um, that connection. And you probably took that into your profession as well because that was your, that was your foundation. So I can imagine as a teacher and a very accomplished teacher that your students were kind of your family, you know? Yes, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I want to talk a little bit about some of your um, your short poems because um, you have short poems that you've written and some are quite um, humorous and I, you're going to share some of those poems with us. I can't wait to hear this because, you know, we need to laugh a little bit, uh, um, but certainly um, and the, your poems will sort of help us to, to have a, a, a a perspective on some of the current events and some of the things that are happening in in our lives. So uh, you want to talk about, you want to go through some of your poems and share those with us? Oh, sure. I will. They're pretty short. They're serious, but they are. I think they'll still make us laugh a little bit at ourselves. Mm -hmm. Sure. All right. The first one is called Old Age. Your eyes show bags. Your mouth just drags. Your spouse just nags, so you're going stag. Momentum lags, your walking wags, and you're wearing large rags to cover a belly that sags. <laughs> well, I certainly felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's all signs of aging, you know, but right. aging gracefully, gracefully, I hope. That's wow, right. that, was, right. that was really cute. Thank you. 
Yeah, these are kind of cute. All right, life some Life is baby tears, teenage cheers, middle age fears, and bingo buddies who are dears. Okay. Wow. All right. Okay, that's our life summed up. Okay. What about guys? I think there's one called guys. Something else, but we'll see. All right, guys. Guys, 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 guys. Legs walking around with lies. Hearts feeling but never caring. Minds never a part of sharing. Guys really don't comprehend the true concept of being men. So we're not talking about men. We're talking about guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Frank Sinatra had something, some type of play or something, a movie one time, Guys and Dolls or something. But anyway, and they were saying guys are the ones that sit and wait. You know, they, they, they like to have fun. And they like so, to have fun, and they don't like to be that serious and all. But mm-hmm. men... Different. So, so you're making the distinction between guys yeah, and men. Oh, that's, that's really clever. Clever. Okay. All right. All right. And then the other was uh, a, a baby. And we mm-hmm. all love babies. They're beautiful and they're, and they're uh, you know, they're innocent and all like that. Mm-hmm. All right, this one says, a baby. A baby will cut up, shut up, will sit up, then spit up. But let him give one cute gas smile, and he's still daddy and mama's charming child. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, the one with the baby, I remember one, I was at Norfolk State, and this girl had had her baby. Anyway, long story. Right. And the baby, the lady picked the baby up. You know, the baby was very cute. You know, most babies are. All babies mm-hmm. are. Yeah. So she, but she was bouncing the baby and carrying on the smile with the baby. And seriously, like, kid you not, the baby threw up on her, on the lady. Oh, all no. She, she was bouncing it too much. And it probably had already eaten. So anyway, everything came out. The pablum or whatever, the Similac plus iron or whatever it had, it came out all over her clothes. And she didn't know what to say. She just gave it back to his mother. But he had to smile in the end. She didn't smile, but she didn't take it too seriously because, I mean, a baby can't help it. You know, you bounce the baby, you have to pay the price. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's really cute, but very true, too. And so babies sometimes help us put things in perspective, you know, um, yeah. because no matter what they do, you love them anyway. And that's so, awesome. um, yeah, which we should each other the same we should give each other you know an opportunity to to be our best version because sometimes you know people may not be having a good day um maybe having a bad day and may not be the best person to be around but you know um give them a second chance because maybe they were just going through a difficult time so um you have one more called women a women uh women women are jealous minded i think it seems from the fountain of envy they drink have a nice figure, they won't talk to you. Have a great mind and they'll crush you down too. Be independent, they'll, lock, they'll block every way and be liked by too many men. An awful gossip, they'll say. But so those some women shine as some women are jewels and they shine as a, in a sapphire sisterhood. We love them. But unfortunately, some women are just downright no good. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, boy. <laughs> So now let me ask you, when you write mm-hmm. these poems, what, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, there, there's truth to the poem, whether we, whether we agree or maybe, you know, like it or mm-hmm. not, there's truth to all of these elements that you put in these poems. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think just, um, you know, to try to take that and mold it into something that's creative um, yeah. that you can listen to, because as I listen to that, I'm thinking about things in my own life and going, yeah, yeah, that's 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 true. <laughs> that's probably true. So what well, do you draw on? But about the same thing, because these are not my thoughts independently. They are thoughts that I've heard from teenage girls, from mm-hmm. women in the middle of years, you know, different things that they say about other women. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are women now, and I think the movement now is really good, that women are trying to support each other more and do all kinds of things. But... Mm-hmm. 
some that just had those problems, and they came, my writing the poem came from the fact that I've heard them. Now, on TV, there are a lot of programs, I won't name any, but, you know, there are an awful lot of programs that are very popular, but they thrive on the fact that they say it's true that these women on those programs get into actual fist fights and things over everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And I taught school, the security guard told me one time, one of them, that, you know, we just get rid of some of the girls. They had more fighting going on all the time than the boys. They really did. Yeah. Usually it was over a boy, and, you know, of course, they would say, that's my boyfriend. The other girl would say, it's her boyfriend. And, you know, we all know better now that if you have to fight over the person, he's probably not uh, not the boyfriend of either one of you yeah, because you true. wouldn't have to fight over him, you know. But that would happen quite a bit, quite a bit. So, And then I remember one time, even at a church thing, uh, there was a lady that went to church a lot and, she knew God all, but anyway, make it short. We were having a program where um, people uh, did, uh, they were modeling, like modeling, and they had these models, and things were going well for the most part. But this lady, uh, the lady, one girl came out, and this particular lady said, mm, mm, mm. you know, <laughs> she, said, mm. she, doesn't, she doesn't know she's got it going on. Every time the person would come out, the lady would say something like that about the lady. Mm-hmm. But the girl showed confidence. Sometimes people mistake confidence for uh, mm-hmm. trying to, you know, they, they mistake it. It's a good thing to have some confidence. It doesn't mean you, you think you're all that, you know, a lot of times. But that's the way she was seeing it about this other person. And uh, mm-hmm. so it does happen, you know, as women sometimes. So it does happen. <laughs> Well, you bring up some really good uh, points, good points in terms of um, sometimes how we can turn against each other. And if you act a certain way and show that level of confidence, people may not like you. But I always think that if you can dislike a person because of you see them a certain way or because they're trying to live their best life and you dislike them because of that, then that says more about the other person than it does. I mean, it says more about you than it does the other person because, um, you know, maybe your confidence is not where it should be or maybe there's some issues there and that's why you don't like, you're intimidated or you don't like to see other people confident because it reminds you of what you are not. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you really think about it, it might sound silly, but no one should ever be uh, threatened, feeling threatened by anybody else because everybody sincerely does have a gift or gifts. Mm. And most, most women, I'd say, at least 98% of women I see of any age, you know, they dress the way they want and all like that, but they all look nice. You know? yeah. So you shouldn't really be, you know, jealous of anybody else or feel less than. Now, social media causes some problems with that, though, too, they say. With young girls, well, sometimes. It, it, it is. I mean, there's so much now on the Internet that really impacts a young girl's self-esteem mm-hmm. because you see these postings and they've got mm-hmm. these perfect bodies and they've got, mm-hmm. you know, dress really nice and that's the image that mm-hmm. that young girl sees. And so mm-hmm. then she's trying to make herself or turn herself into or emulate that experience. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and, and that really causes... Um, you know, depression, it causes um, eating disorders, anxiety, it causes all forms of, of problems simply because of, of that, you know, we live in that world where it's 24-7, you know, all, <laughs> anytime you want to see something, you just go on the Internet, which is all the more reason that you should really create balance in in our lives, you know, create balance where you don't, you know, stay on the Internet all the time, that you create another balance where you're doing something else, you know, that really, like maybe writing poems or or reading or doing something else other than just, um, you know, looking at what other people are doing. Because the truth be told, and I heard this recently too, and I thought, you know, that's probably true is a lot of what you see on the Internet is really a, a perception, and the real yeah. lives of that person may be totally different. You know, yeah. if you see this perfect, perfect image, right? But, yeah, in real life, um, it, the, the, the life the life lived may be totally different and experience. So never look at the Internet as if it's real gospel. You know, take right. things in perspective and just realize that you have a gift and you were created for a purpose, 
by, you know, the Most High and, that's you know, at, by the Tyra Power and you have a gift and that's the reason that you are here on this earth is to share your gift with the world. And we're going to talk more about that in the next session. I can't wait for that. So right. we're, going to, we're going to take a short break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about um, the poems and um, hear more from Mr. Lois Dudley. We'll be right back. Don't you go anywhere. Welcome back to The Common Good Show with Juanita. And I'm here today talking to Ms. Dolores Dudley, and we are talking about finding your voice through poetry. And she shared some very, um, really nice poetry um, poems for us. And, um, and, and, and just I really, really like talking to her about the experiences and her lived experience, too, that um, sort of created the opportunity in life for her to move in this direction and to write poems and her very long career as a, as a teacher. Um, so I want to, um, to ask you, Ms. Dudley, can you, I know you've written a poem called Pets, and I'm just thinking about um, people really, um, you know, when it comes to their pets, um, that is such a, a, you know, it's a friend, you know, for uh, when we say a pet is a man, a dog is a man's best friend, that is very true. And so um, I've, yeah, and I've talked to people who've lost pets and, you know, it's just like losing a member of the family. It really is. Yeah. I've had pets myself. I don't now, but I've had pets too. And I you know what it was like experience when my pet wasn't feeling well or when I lost my pet. So, um, so share with us what you've written about pets. Okay, here it is. Pets. Pets make life worth living. For to life they add. Pets delight one's spirit when one's feeling sad. Pets are silent partners, though they say no word. When a pet's around you, the song of love is heard. Wow, that is so beautiful. You know, it's so beautiful because we, we talk to our pets. A lot, yeah. and that's a way that we can also relieve some of our stress. I know, you know, if only the pets could talk back sometimes, but uh, I think we can look into to their eyes and know what they're thinking. <laughs> that's right. They, they come over. My lab retriever that I had called, that was called named Ebony. I'd come from school sometimes and sit out on the back porch or something, and mm-hmm. she'd come up and like, you know, give her your paw. She'd give paws just to shake her hand. And look mm-hmm. at you like, are you saying or something? You know, they they just grown. She even grew on the neighbors next door. They were crazy about her. Oh, that's and beautiful. And just the other day, they were saying uh, some of the top pets that breed, even though all pets are wonderful, nobody should think theirs is not, but they mm-hmm. still said, they said lab retrievers, golden retrievers, mm-hmm. and they said uh, bulldogs, mm-hmm. and, and they had also uh, German shepherds. Mm. Uh, and poodles. They said they were the ones this year considered that, you know, people loved them an awful lot. Not if, you, not if you have another type of dog, that's okay. But they were just saying this year those particular ones, you know. Wow. Mm-hmm. I so think all pets, pets, all pets have a special place in our hearts. So, they um, do. They do. Thumbs up for them. She said thumbs? when dog died, they, were, uh-huh. they, didn't, they had given the dog a room of its own. And when the dog died, oh. her husband couldn't even go in the room for months. They were so upset about thinking oh. about the dog. They can yeah. really add to what it's like. And they can help a lot when people are sick and things like that. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Companion dogs. Um, and, you know, yeah. our military um, has well-trained dogs to help yeah. our military members um, with um, mental health issues, anxiety mm-hmm. issues, and, you know, mm-hmm. depression. And those dogs are very, very helpful, those companion dogs. They do a great job in helping to support their owners. Um, so there's one other poem that you, uh, you're going to share with us, a poem entitled One. And I want to yeah. talk about that because, um, you know, the to talk about the things uh, surrounding that poem or the things happening in the real world um, that basically that sort of helped you to come up with this poem. So um, please share that with us. All right. This poem is titled One. 
One can change the world and make a dream come true. One can map a certain path and make life just seem new. One can have a vision and see a better way. And one can turn all of our tomorrows into one better day. Just one can. And then I have a question, are you that one? Because mm-hmm. everybody has an opportunity perhaps to visit a gift to be that one. You know, that one person that makes a big difference. But I had uh, thought about Dr. King because uh, even the other, well, I wrote a special poem on him, but it's not in the book. Mm-hmm. But it was, in the, it was in the New German Guide newspaper, uh, I think it was last year. But to me, it was a really, you know, really nice poem about him. It took time to go through his life and the fact that, you know, even as a boy, they, they said he, he had lived, I'd say, maybe a middle-level life, uh, and he had uh, a lot of uh, preachers in his family group and all like that, and mm-hmm. the church was a good thing for him. And uh, But they said his life itself, I guess some people would say in the beginning it was not so much of a struggle, but he cared about others. Also, he wondered why was it that, you know, skin color just made such a difference in, in the lives of so many people, and that wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. And he just uh, he studied Mahatma Gandhi and things mm-hmm. like that. He was just a brilliant person, went to Morehouse and, and uh, Crozier and all, and he developed, he developed spiritually, he developed educationally, he just developed so, in all types of ways. He went to. He was drawn to those types of things that that would make you a person that wanted to rise above the foolishness and to find common ground. And you know, even though Dr. King did, uh, he was African American like that. His dream was not just for us. His dream was for people to come together in unity, regardless of race and color and nationality. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're 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 one people. And yeah. you know, and it's and it's about humanity. It's about making right. this world a better place. Right. And that's and right. that's basically how I see leaders like Gandhi and like Dr. Mm-hmm. King and like Nelson Mandela is how right. can we make this a better place for everyone? Right. It's not that's just right. for a particular race. It's for everyone that's because right. we all have to live together. And um, and so in, in order to live together, to coexist in this world, we have to be able to come together because if we're so divided, then that's going to bring everything down, bring the system down. We can't survive in an environment like that where we're so torn apart. So it really benefits everybody when we can come together. And coming together doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything that someone says or what they does. That's not what that means. But everybody, there are, there is some common ground. That's why we call the show the common good. There is some common good that exists. So let's think about what we can do to work together on those things. And think about we're we're very much the same in many respects. We're more alike. Um, in terms of people, then we are different. You know, we want the same things. We want our family to be protected. We want our family to have the best. We want to live in a world where, you know, we can we can explore different opportunities. We all want that. So yes, if we true. all want that, then let's work towards that. That's oh, me, I could, you know, I need to get off this. <laughs> that's, that's, that's so true. I feel exactly the same way. I wrote a poem that's pretty too long to read today. But I wrote a poem, There's Only One Race and It's Human. Human race, there we go. Human race. And I remember the last line of that poem says, uh, you know, at at the end of everything, once we turn to dust, who will know the red, black, white, or whatever that that was us? Inside the spirit, you know, the spirit has no color and all. It's about coming together. And Dr. King always said that. He said that the sons of former slaves, and the sons of former mm-hmm. slave owners someday would come together and be able to, to rationalize and get past some of the horror, you know, of the past. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, my goodness. I, you know, I could stay on that topic, but I, we, we, I need to move on. There's so many other things I want to talk about. You wrote a poem about the former president, um, Barack Obama. What did that mean yeah. to you? What, what did that presidency mean to you? Uh, that poem? The, the presidency of Barack Obama. Why did you write a poem oh. about him? Well, to tell you the truth, when I, when I wrote the poem, I wrote the poem before he became president. Mm-hmm. I wrote it in 2008 before he became president. At that time, 
he, at the time, I had a younger nephew. You know, people, there was a whole lot of hype around it and, and, and good things. Everybody wanted to know who this person was and everything. But I'll admit, at the time, I didn't really know that much about it. And someone asked me, do you think you could write a poem about him? Hmm. So to do that, I started looking at magazines. I won't call the names of the magazines, but I started mm-hmm. reading magazines and one book and reading through some things. And I started to see a profile of this man more. I, uh, on some of the magazines, there was this lady, it was a white girl, and she was swinging a little baby around. And then I didn't know that he was the baby. I looked, and I said, oh, he's the baby, all right. So who's this swinging, swinging him around? Anyway, I found out that was his mother. I said, okay, mm-hmm. he has a white mother. Uh, another magazine was talking about his father, who was Af- African from mm-hmm. uh, Kenya. Yeah. And uh, I said, okay, and he was with him. I said, this boy's with somebody else. And, again, I said, you know, they were very different in looks, personality, and whatever, but found out later in education that father was very, very bright, very bright. But, anyway, <laughs> he was with this man. Then I saw this same boy in another uh, magazine, and there he was with two white people. And, th- and I found out that was his white mother, uh, grandmother and grandfather and how they loved him. And so a profile, this person here, he's mixed race, but he gets along with his mother, white mother from Kansas. He gets along with his you know, African father from Kenya. He seems to love this, uh, you know, these people, these two white people from Kansas. And it's just I started to look at, look at the person. Then I also started to read more about him. The mother was very bright. She was very much, you know, an educational person, mm-hmm. and so was his father. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in the sixties and all, and because uh, I believe he was born in sixty-one. But anyway, and so I started to learn more. Then I also saw another picture of this young man, and he was with a, uh, an African lady and some other children. And uh, you know, he was looking. He, so his mother used to let him go back to Kenya. He used to let him go back to Kenya and visit them. You know, and that was wonderful, too, I thought. Mm-hmm. She wanted him to know the white grandparents. She wanted him to know his daddy and the grand- people over there mm-hmm. and cousins there. I remember when he was running, later when he was running, they had a picture one time with some Kenyan men. They were so proud that he was mm-hmm. running. Yeah. And I remember saying, I'm not trying to be funny, it was just it's nice the way the language is, but I'm not that good with the language. But mm-hmm. I heard they were saying, oh, we're so proud. We're so proud of our cousin, yeah. Barack. That's right. <laughs> The pride. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, we've had different experiences and this experience yes. of who is this person who yes. is coming to create change, to bring people together, and that's what people were looking for, that enthusiasm, you know, yes. because his, one of his, um, I guess, you know, the titles, the mottos, um, you know, the uh, tags in his presidency was about change and um, creating yes. that change, right? And so that's what everybody yes. was looking for because, you know, at, at some point, you know, you really, you get tired of all of the division and you really do want something different. Most people yeah. want something different. They do want, I do believe most people want to come together. Um, and so we let the extreme voices sometimes drown out the voices of reason. You know, we have a lot of people who really want better, who really want to come together, and many of those people are silent, and they won't step up. And so what Dr. King said is that sometimes it's not really the the loudness. I'm paraphrasing. It's not just the people who are difficult and who are loud and who are are divided. It's the silence of so many people. That's that's part of our problem is the silence. It's when our churches sometimes are silent and pastors are silent when they see things happening and they're not calling it out. Um, you know, when they see people's rights being disenfranchised and they're not calling it out, um, that's a problem. And so yeah. we, we have to, to learn that silence is not an option. We have yeah. If God has given us a platform, we yeah. need to use that platform for the common good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, could I read this poem on him, even though it takes about a minute and a half? Barack uh, Obama. Sure, sure, sure. Go All ahead. right. Because that's why I wrote the poem after I had done those other things. All right. Barack Obama and American drama. Years ago, a couple met, probably never thinking that one day they would love as one, one day they would have a son. 
But they did, and from these two came a man to me and you who is named Barack Obama, America's hope in an American drama. Years ago, this baby born, blood of night and blood of morn, learned the world from different places, learned the world from different races, learned about his inner man, learned by questioning, learned by seeking much of truth, mid the turmoil of his youth, this man, our Barack Obama, our American hope in an American drama. Now the youth, youth has become a man of great stature and great worth, a stalwart, astute, polished statesman, a child predestined from his birth. The blood of Europe, the blood of Africa, the settler's mind, the native's heart, the grandchild of a Kansas couple who helped to mold him from the start. The white grandmother, a wartime worker, the white grandfather, a veteran, true. These two who believed in America did teach Barack to love her, too. And so he cherishes the America's heartland and lives this theme of red, white, and blue. Grandparents pride Barack Obama, our American hope, in an, Amer- in an American drama. He's shown his life is for the people, the white, the black, the Asian on, Hispanics who believe his promise, Native Americans who feel he's strong. And those who like the title Indian, Indian can rest assured he'll do what's right. Could it be that Barack Obama follows that faith of eternal light? He's for our Gentile and Jewish nation and all who are America's friends. Barack Obama, our global icon, will definitely help some wars to end. For though he's walked among the wealthy, he's shown he loves the poor the same. From Harvard's halls to worldwide masses, yet still on Main Street, he's a trusted name. For when he had the chance at riches, he first considered those in need. His record shows outreach to others. Can any man do more indeed? This man we call Barack Obama, an American hero in an American drama. He is the voice of right and, right and reason among so many who are blind. He is the man now for this season. He is the presidential kind. He lived with his dear single mother. He lived with dad not being there. He's lived on all economic levels. He knows no prejudice is fair. His story is America's story, the long shot through hard work and grace, who keeps on trying and moving onward, winning, seeking to win the ultimate race. This man we call Barack Obama. He is an American hero in our American drama. Oh, that that is really awesome. I love that about American story. It's American story. It's like America's dream. Is no matter how you were raised, you can grow up and you can you can be the change agent. And you know, many people are going to discount you, perhaps because of where you came. But you're Mm -hmm. you're if you are. You we're born into this world to do something special, I believe. And so you rise to that occasion. And yeah. I believe that when you do, then you know you're here for a reason and you understand that. And that's what keeps you going. He know at some point he knew that he had a higher calling. And yes, so right. um and that's what he followed. So I want to talk to you about because I know um Oh, gosh, there's so much that I want to talk to you about, um, about suicide in our youth. Um, you know, the high rates of suicide in the last 10 years, we've seen just um, an unprecedented increase in the rate of suicide among our youth. So I want to talk to you about that. You actually wrote a poem about that. Yes, I did. However, now that poem, particular poem is not in the book, but it, it has been in the New Journal and Guide. Uh, it was about a few weeks ago. Mm. Uh, many of my poems have been shared there lately. And a matter of fact, when I, that poem was shared in the, uh, the Journal and Guide, there were two people who called me up there, called the publisher of the Journal and Guide about the poem. They liked it. And she herself had said she liked it. I think some lady said it comforted her the way, because I used scripture and everything in the, uh, in the poem, mm. the way it came to me. Yes. It was so sad. I heard about the two celebrities. I'm not going to call names, but some celebrity, mm-hmm. you know, persons who had mm-hmm. suicide. And also, sometimes, like we were talking earlier, and they say that people get depressed and different things, mm-hmm. and people see little signs. But seemingly, these two people, the signs weren't there like that. They were, you know, they were always acting like they were okay. At least they said the young lady was. And uh, they had done so many things. Yeah, I, I know. There, yeah, actually, I was talking on an, another radio show about um, about just that. Is that 
um, in the, one of the um, individuals I think that committed suicide, um, her parents talked about depression and there was a high functioning depression, meaning mm -hmm. you can go to work, you can do things, you can you know get things accomplished and, and people not notice that you are depressed but you're literally um, inside, you're, you're drowning inside, but yet on the outside you can function in the day-to-day. -day. And so it's really difficult you know, in situations like that for people to see the signs um, mm -hmm. because you can sort of mask those signs so, so greatly. Um, yeah, that is really sad, but I'm glad that you're speaking about it and you're speaking about it in poem maybe it's a different way that people can can read that and understand that that you know this is a problem and it's something that we really need to focus on what we need to do with our with with our youth um, to yeah. make sure that they are, you know, protected and cared for and mm -hmm. that the Internet is not, you know, tearing their lives apart, yeah. um, that right. they have a support system um, that they can lean on and to, to let them know that, to, you know, sort of like we were talking about your, your, your upbringing and how you were surrounded by family so much yeah. and then yeah. your church family. And, and a lot of times our youth are isolated and, we're spending so much time between work and nobody seems to have um, the time that we really need to really spend nurturing our, our new youth and, um, and caring about each other sometimes. And so, um, but I'm glad you're talking about that. You also talk about um, war um, in a situation that we're in right now, what we're seeing with a war in, in, um, Ukraine and uh, and uh, among Russians. Um, so you talk about no one wins in war, which is very true. I mean, you know, no one really wins because you have so much loss on both ends. Um, and so, what what do you? Why were you talking about that? Well, did to say one thing before I say that. It's just that the suicide poem, as I said. Uh, there were at least five people trying to get that poem. If you wanted to read it, I don't know if the New Journaling Guide is online. I would think so. they probably mm -hmm. go back a few weeks, to, or you could call those people. Mrs. Mm -hmm. Andrews, that's the third oldest uh, black newspaper in the country. But they, they have all things black, white, or whatever. But that poem mm -hmm. was in there, and, and a mm -hmm. lot of people wanted to hear it. So maybe mm -hmm. they could get it that way. Mm -hmm. Now you said okay. about the women in war. About winning wars, yeah, about wars. Okay. Uh, well, of course, you know, because Ukraine brought it to light more, but I wrote the poem uh, really about any type of war. That mm -hmm. particular poem is not in my book. Again, that, that was in the, the New Journaling Guide also, that poem of war. Mm -hmm. It was in there about two weeks ago. Man, oh, wow. Yeah, yes, it has been that in there. That is so awesome, but but you're right. No one wins in war. So what? Right. Thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing is, if you have a war, then everybody has losses. They have physical losses, you know, on both sides. No matter who is said to be the winner, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And there's so many psychological problems that people have after war, and some of them have physical problems after war. And all these veterans mm -hmm. and all. So there's always. Uh, a residue, something that happens that's not really good in the end with war. You know, no matter what you do, if you're the person who's the aggressor, in the end, perhaps, you you know, something's going to happen bad to you, even physically. And the people that are being hurt, it's like in that poem that I had, I had the poor, uh, about ten words about war, too. War was, uh, that war was something that was very bad, and mm -hmm. then it happened, you know, with extermination and annihilation. That's, I had about 10 or 15 mm -hmm. uh, lines about what that what war does to a person. Right. You know, and, uh, yeah. and the it's children, a, you know, the children mm -hmm. right now, you know, babies shouldn't be, babies should be given bottles and not have to deal with bombs and all that. It's just mm -hmm. unthinkable, unimaginable, the terrible fear and pain they go through. Yeah. And then the little children also, that war is just a very bad thing. You know, to have to it's, go through. It's tragic. Yeah. It's it's certainly tragic. Oh, well, yeah. You're you're so on point about this, and you know, um, we we live in an environment where it seems like problems are solved or try at least 
trying to solve problems through war, which it's not going to work anyway um, because everybody is everybody loses, just like you said. We're going to have to take a short break now. When we come back, um, just um, have um, to let you talk to our listeners about what you want them to know about your poetry and what it means to you. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Don't okay. you go anywhere. I'll Welcome back to The Common Good Show with Juanita, and we've been talking to Ms. Dolores Dudley about finding your voice through poetry. Dolores, this has been a wonderful, wonderful show. I'm so glad we had the opportunity to talk to you again. And um, so what is it that you want the listeners to know? Well, I want the, 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 I want the people to listen and know that yeah. uh, I wrote this book, Tribute, and I think they should buy it because tribute is a tribute to life. If you read the book, you have little short, funny poems, somewhat humorous, and you have poems that are very serious. You have poems about Barack Obama, Trayvon Martin, and mm-hmm. uh, you have poems about uh, people that made a difference in, in uh, mm-hmm. America and things like that. And I think they would enjoy everybody so far. They do. They always say, I always say, if you read the book, you're going to love some of the poems and like most of them, put it that way. Oh, that's really uh-huh. neat. So how would someone actually um, get a copy yeah, of your book? Uh, they could go to, on Amazon, okay. Barnes & Noble, all these online, and Mascot Books in Herndon, Virginia, Mascot, M-A-S-C-O-T. And uh, there are a few other sites also. And the title it. of the book is Tribute. It's Tribute, yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate everything that you do and, um, you know, and, and putting your, your, your emotions, your thoughts into words that really are a blessing to other people. So thank you so much for sharing with us today and for being on the show. Thank you for letting me share. I appreciate it very much. Okay. You are so, so welcome. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to The Common Good Show with Juanita. And you can catch us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at WDJY 99.1 FM if you're in the Atlanta, Metro Atlanta area. And outside of Metro Atlanta, WDJYFM.com. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for tuning into The Common Good Show with host Juanita. 